Escape from Plan A. Hi, welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I am your host today, uh, Diana, and I'm joined here by Mark. Hey, everybody. And our very special guest, Bryant, who is uh, a longtime fan and he is uh really you know we just met up in person and we had a nice chat and um i think you you know have like a lot of really interesting things to say that we want to share with everybody um so just a few housekeeping items um first of all happy korean liberation from japan day that's today uh august 14th yeah 15th? August 15th. August 15th. Okay, sorry about that. I don't know anything about this, but I'm excited for people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm happy. You get to be free. Free, bitches. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so uh, please subscribe to our Patreon. If you haven't done so already, you'll get bonus episodes, access to uh, the Plan A Discord, and um, you'll be contributing to uh, support new and exciting Asian American writers um, with the funds that uh, we're making every month. Um, and if you are interested in that, that's cool too. You know, just um, please subscribe and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, we want to hear from you, uh, whether you really love us or if you hate us. We want to hear everything. <laughs> um, okay, so today we are here to talk about mental health uh therapy and specifically about racial trauma which is a new new term that i actually learned from bryant you know like when we were talking on twitter and in person mm -hmm. and um i think it's like a really important thing to know as asian americans that this is like a clinical definition like there's a a thing out there that exists and there's like treatment for it because you know like i think for me like i you know have been to therapy for a long time and i felt that it was really useful but you know there's this certain element that just seems like missing and i couldn't quite put my finger on what it was or what to do about it and now i know about this thing i feel like this is like the missing piece and it's so weird that it like nobody has ever told me about it or tried or like suggested it as even like something that i should think about you know well that's white supremacy so, for you yeah but, <laughs> right? so before we get into the topic i think brian it'd be good for our listeners since you're a first-time guest if you just quickly tell us a little bit about yourself you know maybe how you found the magazine uh, and uh, just, you know, general, general bio really, real quick. 
if you could. Yeah, 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 fast. Um, so I'm second generation Chinese American. I, uh, I work as a speech language pathologist in the greater Boston area. And I used to, um, design and facilitate, I guess you could call them like racial identity, like leadership journeys for folks in, um, the nonprofit education reform sector. Uh, I, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Burnout is okay. real. Um, yeah. And I found plan A. Well, I was really just looking for some voices that I thought dealt with the complexities and like the structural complexities that we face as people of color and specifically as Asian Americans. And I felt like plan A was doing a dope ass job of it. So I started reading articles and I was actually joking with Diana. My, my mom sent me the, uh, review that, uh, Diana and her boo did on always uh-huh. be my maybe. And my mom oh, was really? like, have you, That's have you read so this? Sweet. This is such a good article. And I'm like, yeah, oh I've my read God, it. your mom. I love it. We've, we've extended <laughs> into the mom, mom demographic. I That's like right. It. You guys are, re- you guys are reaching far. <laughs> uh, do you want, do you want us to do a shout out to your mom right now? Yeah. Uh, mom. <laughs> This one's for you. Aww. This one's for you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very cool. Well, thank, thank you, you so very much. much for following us and yeah, um, right on. You know, agreeing to be on this pod. Um, so, Diana, you know, you you laid the groundwork for what we wanted to talk about, and I, I as well did not really. Um, I was not very aware of this term, racial trauma. Um, yeah and like we we did a a previous episode about asian american mental health right and like we kind of danced around this topic Mm -hmm. and we didn't it it was like we didn't have the language to describe what we were all feeling yeah 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 and uh brian like could you just is there can you do like a quick description of the the term and maybe a little history on it or because you know i'm sure that some of our listeners are just as sort of it's just as new for them yeah and i think i mean the thing to keep in mind about the term racial trauma is that it's it from what i understand in all the research i've looked at it's pretty new um okay people are just starting to wrap their heads around it thinking about trauma outside of ptsd is kind of messy and, you know, mm. the DSM for all of its, you know, pros and cons, it, it you know, it, they're trying to find ways to diagnose it within that framework. And some people have done that. But I guess the way I would define it uh, kind of quickly is, well, first, first things first, like racism. Let's just, you know, I, I'm sure everyone has a sense of it. But really, I think, you know, it just to be clear, it's a class system that prioritizes white people, gives them privileges, and people of color are treated as second, third, fourth, fifth class citizens. And so the idea here is that when you are a person of color, you're facing that every day, all Mm -hmm. the time. And the accrual of like macroaggressions, like actually being assaulted, you know, targeted by the police, uh, what we see with ICE, microaggressions, like your experiences, you know, growing up in school, things that you saw happen to your family. Um, mm. Also, the 
aspects of historical uh, trauma, you know, which is kind of an older concept, but, you know, things that maybe tie more into the immigrant experience that maybe your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents have carried with them and the kind of racism that they've endured. That can, oh, and also, you know, just what you constantly see in the media and just like really shit media representation. Um, that all adds up to a problem. And, you know, racial trauma is a way to describe that. Symptoms of racial mm. trauma are things like developing hypervigilance, like you're just constantly keyed up and on edge. Uh, really, mm -hmm. you know, often this means being super stressed out and worried about uh, being around white people, um, worrying that, you know, you're going to have these micro or macro aggressions happen again and again. Maybe being stuck on some of these aggressions that you've experienced, kind of continually revisiting them, um, having them, you know, just come into your mind unbidden. Uh, mm -hmm. Other things like increased stress and cortisol response. And ultimately, you know, things like in increases in substance use disorder, anxiety, and depression. And, you know, this sounds really broad and, you know, mental health is messy, but uh, there is research out there that shows very strong correlations, especially between like uh, people who endure lots of microaggressions and an increase in these symptoms of uh, what people think of as racial trauma. Hmm. That's, that's really... Yeah. Um it's fascinating though that I feel like that it's taken this long for someone to, for the connection to be to be made because it just seems obvious to me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I guess you know the his <laughs> the history of racism in America. There's been just tons and tons of um, gaslighting or tons and tons of people who. And institutions and, and as a society where we try to downplay, um, these racial effects on a, from a, uh, individual level. Uh, and I think that sort of stress response that you're describing where people become hypervigilant, um, mm -hmm. it can lead to these weird states of mind where you know in the past you've had, you know, these microaggressions, uh, uh, you know, towards you, but then, because you're always so you're sort of anxious and you're looking out for them, you might want, you might, you might almost doubt yourself that like ones in the future actually happen to you. Cause you're like, well, I can't pot, I can't, it, it can't be happening to me all the time. So then you might be discounting things and sort of doubting yourself. And that leads to more anxiety mm -hmm. and like self doubt and stress and all sorts of, all sorts of things. And what you're um, describing, people uh, in the research community, they, they look at that as a form of internalized depression. Right. Because you're essentially taking what's being done to you and finding ways to blame yourself. Like, did I really see that? Or was it just that I wasn't, I didn't have enough grit? How come everyone else seems to be doing okay? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, once you start doubting your experiences, you kind of like doubt your skills and your appearance and everything like that. So it also leads to like, you know, imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, like serious self-esteem issues, um, personality disorders, in addition to just like anxiety and depression. You know, I always felt yeah. like it was weird how uh, people would say, tell me, you know, like, 
oh, I think you have imposter syndrome, and this uh, disproportionately affects women uh, and people of color and women of color in science. And then they would just leave it at that, including therapists. They would just be like, yep, that's it. But nobody <laughs> would like take that step. That extra step to be like, and maybe this is due to systemic oppression. Like nobody ever, ever said that. Right. You know, it gets me thinking about, um, you know, what, when I came across this term, I, I could feel like a sigh of relief just coming out of me in my soul. Mm. It's like, okay. Yeah. Like you said, there, there's been a missing piece. And I mean, that missing piece comes from somewhere. It comes from our experiences with our therapists. Often, they're white, you know, cis women, straight, and mm -hmm. usually the way that mental health is talked about um, with their clients is like, I'll just take depression as an example. Like they'll, they'll look at your family of origin, they'll look at your interpersonal issues, like your relationships, things that are happening at work, and, you know, probably talk a little bit about brain chemistry sometimes. But, and entirely missing from that is just a sociological analysis of what, for people of color, is a large root cause. It, and I don't think anyone is saying that it has to be the only one or that, you know, there aren't these other drivers of people's mental health. Sure, yeah. But to completely ignore this is, I mean, it's dangerous and it's absolute bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like... It, it I think it would even be helpful because I'm thinking back like, you know, so most of my um, experience with therapy, I haven't had it recently, but, I, you know, there were years where I, you know, I had it, in, you know, many years in a row um, was for depression. And mm -hmm. it was always centered around, you know, my own sort of negative thoughts and maybe my, you know, my relationship with my family or whatever. But and, and, you know, and, and we did delve into a little bit maybe about my abandonment issues around my adoption and all that sort of thing. But there wasn't, it, we didn't go very deeply into that. And we all, we never touched on race. And I think at some point it would have helped if they, if people just acknowledged, you know, part of, part of the, Part of your mental state is because of the environment and the environment that you're in is racist in a lot of ways. And even if we can't change it just by talking about it in this therapy session, at least acknowledging the reality of what's going on can sort of take some of the burden off my shoulders of, you know, it's just in my head. Right. Um, so I, I think a lot of, of the, you know, DSM and other like the, the, like this, the, the profession didn't want to, um, they don't want to address it because they're like, well, what are we going to do about it? Um, but I think just acknowledging it and saying it's real can be really, really powerful and good for someone in therapy. Don't you think? I mean, absolutely. And it gets me thinking, you know, our therapists are human. And when our therapists course, are yeah. white, you know, they, the same patterns that play out, you know, outside of the therapy room are happening right there. Too. Like, how comfortable are people of color, you know, talking about racism in front of white people? I mean, that's that is a very, very tough thing to do. And when yeah. your therapist is not the person actually raising this 
as mm. like not even saying you this is going on for you, but maybe even just raising it as something that's potentially going on for you. It opens up a door because they're essentially saying this place is safe for you to talk about this. And when that's they true. don't, you know, the, that silence is extremely palpable. And so it just takes even more from us to to go ahead and raise this and and again it's like a it's a power relationship too these are professionals you know you're seeing them probably because you're feeling pretty down and out and now they're not raising something and you're a layperson um there are just all these obstacles to overcome and not to mention like you're seeing a healthcare professional like they should be the ones raising the things that you need to be thinking about like it's pretty messed up that so many of us actually need to go into the therapy room and, you know, try to advocate for ourselves um, around like our, our lived experiences. Yeah. yeah, I think you mentioned something about like a lot of times people of color end up having to be the ones to teach our therapists how mm-hmm. to treat us. Like that is not... <laughs> That ain't right. Like, what? No. I mean, that's yeah, and just... that you know that you know that's assuming that your therapist is even amenable to that kind of information because some people are not. Like, I've had therapists who would push back on that idea. You know? Yeah. What did that pushback look like for you, Diana? Uh, mostly negation. You know, like not necessarily like directly violent responses but just kind of like uh distraction or like kind of invalidation which Uh i think you mentioned is a microaggression in and of itself so it's like once that starts happening it's like it's you know more trauma being added to the outside world's trauma right and i feel like if when when a therapist starts doing that to you like that that's supposed to be a relationship of deep deep trust and so it, it, it's almost like a really good friend betraying you or like a family member betraying you yeah yeah and it gets me thinking about how you know people of color we we really can't i mean you can never be 100% yourself i'm not saying that that's even possible but um you know when you're around other people but you know, when you're around white people and you know you can't talk about your experience with racism, you know, you're putting a lot of yourself on the shelf there. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, you go into this therapy room hoping that you can bring more of yourself there. And when you can't, um, like, what are the lessons that we learn then? You know, we, we're seeing it outside in the community, in our experiences at work. Um, or when we were growing up in school. And then now when we're trying to get help, um, we're seeing it there too. I mean, it basically says like the sum total of all your experiences, you know, they're, they're telling you that you really can't do this. I think it's some of the most, I mean, I hate the term microaggression because there's nothing really micro about it. It, it sucks. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can't think it's so damaging when this happens in the therapy room. Yeah, because you're so, I mean, there are a lot of reasons and, you know, things that, you know, therapy can do. Um, and there are a lot of things it can't do. But one of it, one of the things that it's promised to be able to do is to at least try to explore yourself and, you know, why you are the way you are in some ways emotionally. 
um, psychologically. And if that whole side of yourself, the racial side of yourself can't be examined in the context of, you know, your psychological self and your emotional self, mm-hmm. then it, it's, it's not useless, but it's missing a huge part of that. And I, I totally agree with you, Bryant, that it's sort of teaching us or at least showing, it's showing us yet again that, um, you know, it's sort of worthless and, um, it, it's, it's very damaging. I mean, I, I think about like, um, you know, I was, when I was growing up and I had white parents and, you know, they, they have all the best intentions and they want to help you out and everything. And, you know, when I'm ta- when I was, I would try to tell them about dating, right. And how race sort of played into that as a, as an Asian man in America. And, I, you know, it, they had the best of intentions when they're like, you know, you can't, you know, almost saying I was lying, but not like lying, but like maybe it wasn't actually the way that I thought it was. Um, and they said that to, I think to sort of tell me that, you know, you, you can't concentrate into something you can't change. So, you know, just go forward and try more and keep trying. And, you know, you're a nice guy and you're a good guy. So it's going to work out eventually. Um, but they're sort of not like, so, but their, their, their ignorance or their inability to deal with that racial part of me really, you know, it's sort of, it was damaging at that point in time. Uh, and yeah, I can't imagine you... if I were going, sorry, I can't, I can't imagine it, you know, and, and, you know, then going to a therapist who's supposed to be a professional and be able to know more about this stuff for them to do it too is like just another sort of blow, you know? Yeah, it makes you, like, not be able to explore that part of yourself or to just, like, feel like you just like that. That part of yourself just has to has to be um, discarded or something. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of, like, how Teen was talking about in the depression episode that mm-hmm. you guys did. The really long one is just, like, there. there's something missing, you know, just, like, why are all these people so unsatisfied? You know, like, because mm-hmm. he has, like, Asian-American friends who are just, like, they're making good money. They have a family. They have a house. They have everything. And yet they are just depressed, you know? Yeah. And it's just, like, I, I wonder if it's just, like, you just, you're not a full person. And, like, you know that on some level, but there's nothing you can do about it. You, you, right, uh, like there's right. not even like you can't there's not even like a confidant that you fucking pay to talk That's to you right. about this <laughs> like you can't even buy <laughs> this kind of um validation you know and yeah. it also kind of makes me think of just like uh, I, th- I think this is like a society-wide problem right because it is yeah it's about the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, our narratives are always so psychological and individual and like, um, you know, arising from personal choices. And I think this is the same thing with dating is that people are always like, oh, well, you know, like this preference or that preference, it's a personal choice and it's private and what this person does is their business alone. But, like, it, that's never the case, you know? Like, right. 
Your choices are affected by sociological phenomena that you can't control, you know? Right. Including dating, including just recognizing a part of yourself, you know, like the Asian American racial part of yourself. And to say that everything is a personal choice, it, you know, it's both invalidating, but it's also like it at the same time as it's saying there's no problem, it also makes it impossible for anybody to confront the problem, right? Because if mm-hmm. there is a racist choice that somebody's making, then the the narrative goes, well, that was your personal choice to be racist against somebody else. And racism is bad and shameful and a d- disgusting choice. And that makes you a disgusting person. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be that way. So then you hide from it. You hide from right. those things that you do that are labeled personal choices. But it's like if we just recognize these societal things, you know, like patterns, we could say, oh, I am affected by these outside forces. You know, I can decide to play along and be complicit or I can decide to try to change, you know, who I am now. And that's your choice, you know, but like, I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I don't know. Well, I'd like to pick up on that. I, and also going back to what you were talking about, Mark, um, like when you raise this and, and no one's talking about it. I mean, to, to acknowledge what we're talking about for a white therapist, for a white person, is to acknowledge that there are institutional structures and cultural structures that, um, that, are, that are in play for people of color. And to acknowledge any kinds of structures is totally anathema to the very like premise of like white white supremacy and white identity. You know, like Mark, as you were describing kind of your experience talking about dating with your folks, I mean, mm-hmm. what kind of came to mind for me was like, oh yeah, like you have full agency here, <laughs> Mark. Or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be unfair to your folks, but like, you know, essentially yeah, just just keep on doing it and keep making good choices as if the world is just constructed by our choices, which, you know, is, I think, a very big part of of like this myth of whiteness. Um, and especially as it kind of uh, as especially especially as we think about it in the American context around like the myth of you know, being a self-made person, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps as if structures don't have anything to do with your life. And the funny thing is, I guess it's not funny. It's really awful. Um, Maybe the term racial trauma is new. And that's more that people are starting to think about how, uh, you know, even short of having a really terrible event that traumatizes you a la PTSD, Mm -hmm. like trauma can accrue it kind of like the last straw on the camel's back that's right it can um, be like a stress fracture and that's not like an acute injury right that's over time that's know, over you're time hitting your foot or something on your leg and you're walking and then the shin you, know, you get a stress fracture or on a yep. bone right yep. um but people have been thinking about this for decades actually when i was yeah. digging into this research i was getting really upset because you know it's it, people have been at least talking about 
the, the correlations between like worse mental health outcomes and, uh, you know, people's reports of enduring, uh, racism, macro and microaggressions. You know, they've been looking at the increases in cortisol or, you know, basically stress response. And that means that like 20 or 30% of your brain is always used up. And your emotions are used up trying to deal with the stress. Like, imagine if we all took those shackles off, right? What would life be like? But no, it, it's it's out there. And I think that this brings us back to the point that, you know, there are a lot of great therapists out there. And, you know, I've had some good therapists who also happen to be white. But, you know, people are not – there. there's this huge gap in theory and practice. And I think that's always the case with clinical practice. That's just the name of the game. But when it's about – racism and when it's about like your white therapist needing essentially to interrogate his or her identity in order to help you develop yours mm-hmm. well i mean i mean just do the math right <laughs> right it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack like to get a good 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 therapist um you know i can't so like when you say that People have been digging into this for decades, but it just hasn't clicked yet. Like I've, I've seen, um, people talk about in, in the medical field that like Asian Americans have worse disease outcomes or like they, you know, have higher rates of heart, heart disease and cancer. Mm-hmm. And in, in addition to, you know, like, um, mental health issues. And I bet, like, that's also related to the racial trauma that they they endure. You know, like, this, people will be like, oh, yes, you know, this clearly has to do with, like, um, African-Americans, um, you know, like, longevity or, like, disease outcomes. But, like, I, I don't think people have specifically made that connection with the Asian-American communities, you know? And I think it's there. And I also feel like when people talk about Asian Americans and mental health, they're always like, it's because of Asian culture or like, you know, like whatever, whatever stereotype they have. And I don't think that is the whole story. And I think part of it to even like, there'll be a lot of people that are like, oh, but you know, there's like stigma around seeking therapy for you know like asians in asian cultures which like what freaking culture doesn't have a stigma around mental health (laughs) it's not like um, white culture has this some sort of like they love therapy i mean i know it's a stereotype but they don't really Uh, i don't think they do i think it's a very (laughs) class-based thing i think maybe like upper middle class and rich people but like you're not going to see a ton of you know, working class people going to therapy all the time. Um, and definitely not know. talking about it like it's a badge yeah. of honor. Right. I just, I just wonder if it's, you know, all the, all the articles I've read about, like the Asian social stigma, they are about people who are like, from Asia. They're like international students and like they feel like they have a stigma. And I feel like even if that's true in Asia or whatever, like the majority of Asian Americans that I know, like they get it, you know, like they're like they want to feel better. They want help. But I think 
a big part of it is like um they know they're not gonna get it because they know how white people are they know what they're in for when they go to therapy and it fucking sucks like why should i go and pay money to somebody who's gonna shit on me for the thing that i'm traumatized by anyway right or or ironically they'll essentialize the problem as like oh your culture or your the culture of your parents mm-hmm. is to blame um which is sort of like the opposite of what we've been talking about where like they try to avoid race but when mm-hmm. they bring it up it's invariably to say that like oh no your your asianness is to blame for your problem um right. which is just yeah, yeah. like, what like happened, it's not uh, my asianness it's like how American society or society as a whole interacts with my Asianness, right? <laughs> it's not like the Asianness. It's like how I, you know, how the rest of the world treats me because I'm Asian, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is a different thing. Those are two different things, right? Yeah. Um, Mark, I so, feel like your therapist never brought up race because you were adopted, you know, well, and you think, had yeah. white yeah, you had white parents and they were like, Oh, I guess that's not that. But like for me Or they would like, try they would they would concentrate on the adoptee tra- adoption trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which Oh and of course, you know, Asians I mean, are basically white anyway. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, yes, the adoption trauma is a big factor and you know, there's tons of evidence and research to show that adoptees carry that trauma throughout their whole lives and you know, they're double the double the instances of depression, you know, almost, you know, double like substance abuse or, you know, triple, um, you know, adoptees attempt suicide at a much higher rate, all these sorts of things. Right. But the racial aspect of it too is because I'm a transracial adoptee. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was just like way too much for any therapist that's not sort of concentrated on that segment to, to handle. Um, and it's just taken a while for, I think, for people who of the same background, um, to sort of become, you know, therapists themselves, but they're just not that many, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And even like, uh, POC centric therapists yeah. can be fucking shitty to Asians. Like what happened can, yeah. today? <laughs> like- <laughs> oh my God. You want to crazy? You wanna, you who, who you let talk us a know bit about, about that? that? Uh, I was just I I was um, looking for that article um, to share with Brian, and I found that uh. that tweet that like completely misquoted um, George's article. Uh, why are Asian American kids killing themselves? And uh, they quoted the part where he describes, you know, like the current paradigm which is incomplete and reductive um, in stereotypes Asian cultures. And it's like right before he gets into like the meat of the article, which actually challenges that and, you know, refutes it completely. But like this company just like took that bit and just posted, hey, hey, Asian culture sucks, you know, and it was like. Go to our app. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to say what that app's name is because I'm not giving them fucking free publicity, but just <laughs> know that that app, um, it, it was like specifically for helping um, P- 
people from POC communities like uh, overcome stigma and find therapists and supports, uh, you know, for for their like mental health journeys. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You know, and we called them out on it. And they were like, oh, sorry, we offended you. We didn't intend to, you know, be racist. <laughs> yeah, Literally your sorry's this- mean nothing mm-hmm. yeah. around yeah. this. I mean, Literally the same it- bullshit. They were like saying, hey, we'll help you with this. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, and, you know, again, this this idea that Asian culture is so regressive and buttoned up that we can't talk about anything. I mean, first of all, I grew up in... A white white suburb. Don't tell me about mm-hmm. buttoned up. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Me too, man. Me too. Yeah. Or like that. You know, Asian cultures are so unemotive. It's like spend some time in Asia, and you tell me how unemotive everyone seems. You know. It's oh my god. Not yeah. That I mean, way Koreans. Come on. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's a joke. Like anyone who knows any Korean would just know tell you that's a joke. <laughs> unemotive. And, my ass. Yeah, and it just goes back to like. So what really happened there? They they obviously didn't read the article, or if they did, they could only see what they wanted to see. It's because they decided on the narrative already, which was that our culture is backwards and cold and distant and leads to like bad mental health outcomes. But I think, you know, in an in an analysis of how this stuff plays out for Asian Americans, we need to think specifically about the kinds of uh racism that Asian Americans face because it's very different That's from right. what Latinx and like African American and and indigenous communities face. Like I I was talking with Diana at dinner and I you know I at least for those of us that are in the middle class, you know, and it is class based, like it comes in sideways. It's not like this, you know, awful at least often it's not this awful like police violence against people in the community that then the community can then kind of rally against at the very least. Like often it's this, this stuff, you know, the model minority myth, you know, like there are a lot of people who internalize that and think it's a good thing. It splits the community up. We can't come together. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff around, uh, you know, the fetishization of Asian American women and the desexualization of, of Asian American men, it, it's another thing that splits the community and like people don't really know how to feel about it when it's happening and they're kids. And like by yeah. the time they get older, like we haven't come together as it's not like it's this huge banner moment where everyone's like, no, fuck this. That's not like we're not going to let you do that to us. It's kind of like, yeah. well, we're yeah. kind of going to let you do it to if, us. Or if it is sort of a, a violent act. It's against, you know, the most vulnerable people in our community. Like it's mm-hmm. uh, like we, we talked to, to Ron Kim, Ron Kim about this, um, a few weeks ago. It's to, yeah, was you a, know, people that was a great in, pod. yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, he, Ron's amazing. Uh, hopefully we'll, um, we'll be able to talk to him more as well as Uline and, and other people, uh, in Red Canary song. But, um, oftentimes the, you know, the violence that's done against your community is not, as you said, Brian, it's not the same as in the African American community. It's done to, you know, older people, um, to mm-hmm. women. And it's not done by the police. It'll be done by other members, members of other m- minority groups. And it's, 
and and the and the then the violence that's done by you know white people or or the state is through just ignoring it, right? That you know they don't really prosecute yeah. it or they're not really worried about it, and they're just and, and it's sort of this attitude of like oh well you know the 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 minorities are fighting and we'll let them sort of duke it out. I mean with the L.A. riots. Uh, the police basically withdrew from, you know, the African American and, and Korean uh, neighborhoods and protected the white ones and, you know, sort of let the two square off. And, you know, it's, it can be very easy then to be like, you know, now we want to really beef with one another when we, it's like, who's actually sort of pointing, pointing ourselves at each other? It's not, you know, it's not really us. It's, you know, the white, white people are. Um, I mean, that's sort of a similar dynamic as um, how affirmative action is um, yes. yeah. played out. You know, it's yeah. like it's like giving giving. Um, I don't I don't know what do you, reparations. I don't, not exactly. But you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. you're just taking from the Asian communities and giving it to the other POC communities. Right. Instead yeah. of, you know, it's just, it's, it's re, reshuffling stuff in the POC communities so that the white communities never have to give up anything and they can keep accumulating wealth and doing whatever. And it's interesting, um, you know, this, as we're talking about the specifics of, I guess, like what Asian Americans face, like the racism, it does make me think also about the perpetual foreigner uh stereotype you know you you never really are from here um even though I, I think teen said it on one pod but if you go to some of these chinatowns there are people who have been there forever you know longer yeah. than a lot of hundreds other of years white I mean, family yeah. yeah and some white families it's just that because you know of their class and like their language they've never been able to really you know, integrate into like essentially white American society. But if, also if, by law, when I look at, you know, I mean, by also law. by laws where they couldn't also own property, anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, so it's not. Yeah, the laws <laughs> were cultural. designed to do that, to perpetuate yeah. the foreigner identity. Yeah. So it's it's not like it's not for lack of trying, you know. Um, but anyway, sorry, I, like, I feel yeah, like we talk about off, right? this this sort of stuff all day and there's a lot of it um but i kind of want to focus on like what good therapy would look like how to find a good therapist you know Mm. and just kind of like like where do you where do we go from here individually um because i feel like a lot of people they would want to find a therapist if if they could but it's just like really hard so like how do how do you make it easier? Gosh, it's it's the worst kind of dating, isn't it? <laughs> Especially yeah. that first date. <laughs> it's brutal. But um, like you you found some good ones, right? So yeah, like like I have um, I, I, I can speak from my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So again, if if what we're seeing often, you know, are these therapists who just go to the interpersonal and your family of origin and basically stop there. Like, and we know that's not enough. So for me, I, I think, um, that it's important to like 
find a therapist and ask the hard questions up front, you know, that first time you're meeting them about what they, how they think about intersectional issues and structures of oppression. Because essentially that, that's what we're talking about here. When we're talking about racial trauma, it's being faced with these structures and having a very reasonable reaction to them. Yes. <laughs> Basically having a tough time because of them. And I think, you know, getting that, like asking that question up front is going to tell you a lot about that therapist. And, you know, I don't think that they need to share, at least for me, I, I didn't feel like they needed to share my racial background. Uh, mm-hmm. And Diana, you, you mentioned that even when they have like, you know, you haven't necessarily found good therapists there, but yeah, finding that. And then also, you know, and, and asking up front, I think is really important. The other thing I'll say is I, I think, you know, when you're doing this, it's, it's hard because when you're looking for a new therapist, usually, you know, what happens is like, you know, maybe your relationship with your past previous therapist, you know, had to terminate because your insurance changed or you moved. Um, and, but often it's because, you know, maybe you haven't been in therapy or you haven't been in therapy for a long time and things just got bad. So, right. you know, you're like, be compassionate to yourself. You're running, you know, close to on, on close to empty in your tank. And you're doing something really brave. You're trying to take care of yourself in a world that really makes it hard. So, you know, it's easy to get discouraged. Um, but, uh, just, just, you know, I, I hope you, you know, for anyone out there who, who's embarking on this, like, just, just try to remember that what you're doing is really hard. It's really important for you. It's brave. Um, like, how do you even, how do you even get that initial meeting? Like, cause there's like, you know, just like listings and just tons of people. But it's like, mm-hmm. um, do you ask around or do you, you know, like yeah. look for certain keywords in their profile or something? Yeah. So the keywords that like if you go into psychology today, there's basically this huge, you know, database of therapists. And because in America, we can't call it what it is, you know, a lot of, <laughs> you know, like it's all coded around like ha- like. Cult, like literally milk, so milk toast as to be something like cultural issues, right? No one ever okay. says race. Um, but look out for that sort of stuff, like cult, like a focus on cultural issues, uh, like the words culture plus trauma. Um, I, I mean, I've, or sometimes people will say ethnicity. I've, I've never seen anyone mention race in their, in their uh, yeah. little bios there, but definitely look for that stuff. And, you know, more often than not, these people are going to be full up, but put your name down because like, while I'm a big fan of not letting perfect be the enemy of good, like you also don't need a therapist who's going to just continue to invalidate your experience in the therapy room. Yeah. Does age matter of the therapist in your, in I'll your sp- experience? I'll, I'll speak from my experience. I'd love to hear from you guys. I, I've found that I've worked best with people who were younger. Now, maybe that's just because, and those happen to be people who were more, you know, with it and thinking about structures of oppression. Sure. Yeah. Like um, younger I, you know, than you or like, you know, around the same yeah, one age? Of, one of, well, around the same age, but one of my best therapists was this guy who's, ha- I mean, he was half Filipino and uh, he was younger than me. I was really surprised that at how well that therapeutic relationship worked but really it it, as i think about it it had very little to do with age and it was that 
everything that he did was just soaked in compassion, but he was critical. So he was mm-hmm. like firm with me, like really getting to me, to, <laughs> getting me to think about hard things, but he was compassionate. Uh, like how well, did that make, a, that, yeah. oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, how did that make you feel? Like, what is that? What do you mean by compassion? Well, I mean, I guess, and I'd love to hear you, uh, how you guys think about this, but like, so I've had a major depression diagnosis since I was a teenager. And one of the toughest things for people with that diagnosis is like actually having some sort of self-compassion. You're, you're totally beating up on yourself all the time for everything. Completely can relate to that. Yeah. So having somebody who can not just like who can validate your experiences and also, you know, be able to help you see, like, see it the way that, you know, we're, Mark, like, you and I, if we heard, like, someone, a friend of ours, like, you know, talking about the stuff they felt down on themselves around, would probably be like, oh, man, that you're being so hard on yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yet when you, <laughs> but when you have depression, it just seems like, no, I'm being totally rational. This just makes sense. Well, it's uh, very easy for me to see it in other people and be like, I know you. I see you. You're not, you know, mm-hmm. you can't beat yourself up about this. So, you're great. Yeah. But I can't see it yeah. about myself. So. Yeah, and so I think what what people like, at least from the depressed context, you need an overcorrection of that. And one of the mm-hmm. roles that your therapist can serve is to give you that overcorrection. Not that they're like, you know, flinging compassion bombs at you all the time, and you know, so it feels <laughs> fake. But like to actually get get you to start to see this as something worth looking at with some tenderness for yourself, because you're not going to really get any better if you're not able to start to root out some of this essentially self you know if it's if this is what's playing out for you like self-anger self-disappointment and and hatred Mm -hmm. maybe um and which always leads to shame and guilt and those things like once those things set in they're hard to get out and like the only way you can really uh make war with that enemy is to i think to love it yeah right on do you feel like, okay, so I don't know, when when you say like they will specifically have like culture issues on their profile, um, it, like, I don't know, when I've gone to like Asian female practitioners who have that on their profile, they will actually just be like, oh, it's it's stifling Asian culture. You know, like they they, they oh, will really? be literal about it. So it's like wow. it's like where I'm just wondering if it's like um you know like specifically if like Asians we we've like internalized this so much that our therapists are even like this or like you know should we be trying to not go to asian therapists you know you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i i mean i would i I don't want to paint anyone with a broad brush i do think there's a lot to like again therapists are people too and like you know just like anybody they'll have internalized the same kind of crap that we have yeah Uh, yeah but it does make me think about like i'll just speak from my experience right now i have a really dope therapist and um awesome she and i can talk about all the structures like you know racial oppression 
late stage capitalism and who isn't anxious in late stage capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're not anxious, you, you know, you might want to get that checked out. Um, well, if you're not anxious, you know, and, you're a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. You know, and, and like to be able to oscillate between talking about those structures and how they then play out for me interpersonally, but then also to like go, like to basically be constantly zooming in to my personal experiences, but also zooming out to, you know, thinking about like what's really going on here. Um, something I said to you, Diana, that I'm, it's a hobby horse of mine. It's like, you, you kind of need to know what you own and you need to know what other people own. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you can't really work on the problem. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that, you know, when your therapist can help you zoom in and out so you can kind of hold these things in tension. Uh, and ultimately, you are the one responsible for for helping yourself, even if these things have been done to you. It's just the unfair way the world works. But, you know, when they can help you do that, then, you know, that's dope. Um, yeah. And, you know, it is like that that kind of dating. Someone might say they're an INFJ on their Tinder profile <laughs> and you show up for that date. You're like, this is not INFJ territory. What's going on here? Um, not all <laughs> cultural responsiveness is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think unfortunately um, it's, it, it can be hit or miss and you're just going to have to be ready to fairly quickly be like, you know, this isn't working out and try to find another one. Um, and it's a lot of that work that we're talking about where it's like, you have to do the work for yourself as a patient and advocate for yourself, but that's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost worse to have a bad therapist than no therapist or one that doesn't work with you. So, um, yeah, it, there's no way. I don't think there's any way to have like a set of keywords so that you can find the, the perfect therapist on the first try, unfortunately. The one thing I would advise also is even if a therapist isn't coming across with like the crap tons of knowledge that you would hope that he or she would have um, after your first date, well, you know, I I would also try to pay attention to just their affect and their body language. Like, are they genuine? Like when you raise the things that are important to you, if you're talking about racism, like how, how do you see them react? Like, are they engaging with curiosity and validation or are you noticing that they're getting kind of cold or distant or like kind of what you were describing diana with some of your therapists Mm. um you know you you don't want to be in a position where you're fully educating your therapist but you know they don't always need to have like a critical race theory phd or anything to be able to help you unpack things and you know, I, I have worked with therapists who have, have gone off and kind of done their own work to continue their own education because they're like, hey, bro, you know, I have this case, you know, with this guy, Bryant, and um, what I know isn't enough, but, you know, I, I want it. I want to get to a point where I have more for him. And, yeah, you know, there true. are a lot of those people there, too. So, yeah, yeah I had a therapist like that, too. Like I mentioned, um, like racism one time and then um, she didn't really have anything to say about it. But then I noticed like a few uh, weeks later, I mentioned it again and she like had a lot more to say. And she like, you know, was more um, engaged, you know. And I was mm. like, oh, man, like, that is so sweet. You you did your homework for me, it seems like. Yeah, and like that, that's a that sign of a like, good therapist. Yeah, that, like, really <laughs> built trust. And I, I yeah. you know, I really appreciated that. 
So, oh, I, I have a question. Like, where did you, did you do your own research and come across, you know, like racial trauma just like by happenstance or like did, did your therapist bring it up to you? Um, no, I, I mean, no, my therapist did not bring it up to me. My, my current therapist, uh, I went to her with this question already, like, you know, I mean, I guess without even getting to the specifics of whether racial trauma is playing out for an individual or not, just like is, you know, would you say that racism has been a contributing factor or even maybe a root, one of the root causes of my diagnosis? And after she took my full case history, she was like, yes. But to get to that point, I basically did go off and do my own research. And, and again, that goes back to what we were talking about that that sucks. You're, you know, you're the person who is taking it on the chin and you're going to these healthcare professionals and like they're not helping you figure out what's actually going on. So you can't actually solve the problem. In fact, yeah. you know, so much of it then turns into like if you like if there is this whole area of your mental health, that's not being um, explained like you're going to find a way to explain it. And you're probably going to blame yourself, you know, whether yeah. you do that explicitly or implicitly, like you're going to take that, you're going to internalize that. And that's, I think that's really the big shame of all of this. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. have heard of the f term racial trauma, but I heard it in an academic lecture and it was about like intergenerational racial trauma uh, pertaining, you know, to the African-American experience, uh, you know, just like yeah, uh, slavery. Yeah, slavery and yeah. Jim Crow and everything. Um, and like, I, I, I heard about it maybe a year or two ago. And I didn't, uh, I, you know, the way that that was framed, it's like, we know about it. We can see it in history. But we're not going to say anything about how it affects anybody today. Hmm. And I think that's a crying shame. You know, like, I think that's a problem. Like, we, d we will address, like, historical racism, but we just, like, can't, we can't deal with current things that are happening to us right now. Like, we can't talk about it. We don't want to look at it. It's just, like... It's just something we want to just push out of our consciousness in general. And like after I heard about it from you, I, I looked it up, you know, online, just um, some articles. And a lot of them were like very PTSD focused, you know. So there were like mm -hmm. these if, if these like major events happen to you, like if you have family separation because of ICE or if you're detained at the border or if you've been uh, assaulted by the police, something like very, yep. very traumatic. And they, they don't give any examples that would pertain to Asian Americans. And they don't give any examples about microaggressions. They say, yes, microaggressions are included, but they don't. They don't really, you know, emphasize that. So, a couple things, um, and not to get like wonky here, but there is a new instrument that I, I think, I think it's out of the University of Connecticut. Um, 
It's called the TSDS, the Trauma Symptoms of Discrimination Scale. And this is like this whole inventory that like, I think one of the big questions is um, like after you experienced a racist event, you know, not like after you're detained by ICE or after you learned that your family is descendant of slaves, like, you know, after you experienced a racist event, did you and then has all these questions around like, you know, did you have stru- trouble relaxing? Did you avoid certain activities? Did you feel hypervigilant? Um, in order to basically dig into, you know, how much of this was like a somatic, like hyper arousal impact, um, how much of this was leading to you to social isolation, how much of this was leading to depression, um, those different things. And I think the theory, the theory behind where people are starting to go with this, or maybe have been going for a while, but, uh, you know, beyond this kind of more like big macro aggression trauma or this historical trauma stuff is, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, the, the idea that this stuff accrues, like, like Mark, I think mm-hmm. Mark, your, your, um, idea of like a stress factor is actually really, really perfect around this. That, you know, at some point that leg, uh, that fracture just, you know, gets bigger and your leg yeah. gives out. And yeah, you can't walk. You know, the, the tough thing is it's yeah. hard for people to really codify this stuff. Another study I looked at, um, and I'll, I'll send it to you guys. It's, it was really interesting. They found actually that when they looked at Asian American mental health outcomes, you know, as related, as it related to racism and racial trauma, they, they saw a higher incidence of it in their sample size than with, um, African Americans. And they were theorizing that because the, the Asian Americans are a group that experienced more microaggressions, at least like relatively, mm-hmm. that the nature of microaggressions is kind of more insidious and damaging to certain parts of your psyche. Um, hmm. in the large part because, <laughs> yeah. Whereas huh. a macroaggression, you'd be like, that was really messed up. Someone just punched me. Like, I, I remember I was, there's I was no assaulted doubt, right? It's like on the okay, street. Yeah. 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 I was like assaulted on the street. Like, this was before the, ele- before Trump was elected by some guy where, like, wearing a Make America Great hat, uh, again, hat. And like, yeah, you know, I, I pretty much knew exactly what that was and it was awful. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't walk away from that thinking, did that just really happen or, you know, starting to blame myself around anything. It was definitely that guy's fault. Yeah, you know um, it's external. Yeah, but you don't really, you know, you, I'm, I'm not saying people don't internalize these these things, but I think the nature of microaggressions, at least in my personal experience and from what I've been reading in the literature, is that there might be something to them around how they essentially insert themselves into our psyche. Mm-hmm. And... That, you know, again, over time, this can lead to the types of trauma that aren't necessarily easily definable through the PTSD model. And like, like I have a limited understanding of the DSM, but, um, what I've been reading in some of these research articles is that like, you know, looking at things purely through the lens of PTSD is, is not helpful. It's not comprehensive enough mm-hmm. here because people can present with symptoms of trauma without have having full-blown PTSD and that still means we need to be able to learn enough to be able to deal with that because that's still adding up to a lot of human pain and suffering. Yeah. I wonder if also like, um, you know, in other communities, like 
people just talk about racism openly with each other. They, like, they acknowledge it. They're like, yep, this is real. This is shitty. Uh, and, like, like, psychologically, they're just, like, better prepared to handle mm-hmm. it. I don't know. You know, because it's like uh, most most of my Asian friends, I don't talk about racism with them or like they they get real uncomfortable if really? I bring it up. And yet, like most of my friends. I'm sorry. That sucks. Yeah. Throughout yeah, my life. That's awful. Like that I know in person, not like people I know online who like we like are talking to each other because of this but yeah yeah but i think i think you have i think there's something to what you said there diana in that i think obviously there are elements of i think that you know african-american or latinx um communities that uh i don't think as much even uh, though in, in indigenous but definitely in the black and latino community where you know people will try to deny it but it's a lot smaller you know, it's like, I think most <laughs> African-Americans are like, oh, you know, that's crazy. But, you know, and I think back on Eddie Cloud when, you know, I think he had that viral video clip, um, I think a week or two ago, where he said that he had the privilege of being raised in a background where he wasn't taught to believe the myths of America, right? That were like yeah. equal and mm-hmm. free and, you know, it's not racist. And I think what he was alluding to is that, not, it wasn't just his own family, but like his community of, of black Americans, because it was, you know, because all this, you know, overt violence and racial violence was targeted towards them. They couldn't stay, you know, sort of underneath the, uh, they couldn't believe in the myth anymore because they were the yeah. ones being, you know, violently, uh, you know, and, and racially suppressed and oppressed. But yeah. I think for, for Asians, our our um time in america is different right even though we have had a lot of violence directed towards us we were never slaves in the same sense and um you know and we, every it wasn't exactly the same and i think it, there is a lot of room especially in the the newer immigrants um that that came maybe in the only last 40 50 years to sort of still be under the sway of the American myth and mm-hmm. they don't want to, you know, there's a, there's a large pushback, you know, and, and I'm this, you know, I, I think I've had a lot more people, Asian people lately in my life that have not sort of pushed back on it. They're sort of aware and they're willing to talk about racism, but I've definitely had like you have Diana, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the past, like just you try to talk about it and no one wants to. Because, you know, they, they, for whatever reason, they just don't want to acknowledge it. Yeah. Uh, so, and you can this... and you can feel like you're crazy. You're like, am I the only one? <laughs> mm-hmm. But obviously, you're not because it's real. You know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we are uh, at about uh, an hour, hour and five minutes out. Um, I think we should wrap it up. Does anybody have any um, closing thoughts? Yeah, I, I just wanted to go back quickly. I'll try to be really quick. Um, no, no problem. Sorry, guys. But uh, to something that you were both talking about, like when you, so there's something called uh, racial socialization, basically learning the ins and outs of the hierarchy. And mm. 
Um, there has been research that shows that when, you know, like kids are given that socialization, they have the expectations of what they're going to deal with. And because of that, and, and because of that, they essentially develop literate. I mean, you, the, the system of race is so messed up and weird. Like you need to develop literacy in it. And the problem is mm-hmm. a lot of us get to become adults and we have not developed that literacy. And so we don't even know what we're looking at. We can't even talk about it. But when kids are taught this stuff early on, it kind of ino- gives them this inoculation against, um, you know, not all of it, definitely, but, you know, enough so that they have some, they've been able to see, I think, some, some different types of, uh, healthcare outcomes for them. And, and I just wanted to tie this to, I think this is really, you know, one reason why it's so hard in the Asian American community to, to find, you know, other people who are just like, yeah, that was fucking racist, um, is actually, it's the very nature of the model minority myth and the fact that, you know, to varying degrees we've all been, you know, forced to internalize this because it's just in the air. And it's this kind of half, like it's kind of good when you're growing up and you think it's kind of good, but it's pretty messed up. And then, you know, and then it's baked in and then, Mm -hmm. you know, it just makes it hard to talk about because like, don't rock the boat. We're, we're the good ones, right? Like what, why are you rocking the boat? And so nobody really wants to talk about it. And even those who want to talk about it, we're still kind of taught through this myth that, that we've been spoon fed that, you know, like, don't, don't rock the boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mark? Um, I don't think really. I mean, um, I, I think it's just the beginning of the conversation of this racial trauma idea. I mean, I think there's just so much more to talk about in terms of, um, how, how the racial traumas are different between all the different minority groups and then how we all sort of relate to one another, um, and how that's uh, informed by the racial traumas, um, that we've endured. Um, and, you know, also like how it informs how we parent sort of a little bit, what you're talking about, Brian, about the socialization. And, um, you know, I, I did recently, a, a, a panel discussion at an adoptee, uh, conference about Asian masculinity. So it wasn't just focused on like adoption stuff, but just being Asian American and in America, Asian in America. And there are a lot of mothers there raising, you know, Asian children or at least half Asian children um, and Asian boys and awareness that, like, you know, how America sort of views, you know, Asian men uh, and sort of just how they're trying to navigate that along with the intersection of, you know, masculinity and Me Too and feminism and all that. Um, and gender identity and, um, so it's, it's really complex. And, and if, and if the racial aspect is ignored, um, it can be, you know, it's just not complete. So I know I'm a little long winded, but I, I hope this is the first of many discussions on this. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, even though it has been hard, like, I'm pretty optimistic, you know, like, we have the connections and the resources now to, like, 
figure this shit out and uh, talk to each other as a community like never before. And, uh, you know, a lot of this lack of socialization is probably because, you know, like we're second gen or first gen, you know, like we're just Mm. not going to have that sort of um, social literacy that people who've been in the country much longer have. So, you know, like, I feel like our kids, mm-hmm. I've, I'm optimistic about the next few generations. Um, yeah. And I think, um, you know, like, we'll probably post a lot of resources with this episode, both on the SoundCloud and on medium i think um we'll figure it out but yeah there's there's a lot of um information out there now and i think it's really useful and i hope that you know we'll continue chatting all right so i think that about wraps it up um bryant so thank you so much for coming to talk with us it was really informative um and cathartic um yeah so uh thanks mark for (laughs) joining me as well and uh, i hope you've enjoyed this episode um remember to um check us out on patreon check us out on spotify itunes etc review and rate us and uh, check out planamag.com for our articles all right good night guys good night all right thanks for having me